more songs every Sunday. You really do have a talent in that. Yeah, so thank you. And we're very blessed to have musicians. We got Becky and and I, and I know, and I want to say thank you. It's, it's difficult, the family and your dad, but you're able to practice and bring us worship services. Practice? Is that what the, what's up? But you know you're here, and, and I know you're tired, so thank you. So, yeah. Say thanks to Becky when you get a chance, will you? So, I know she doesn't want it, but. So. All right, I'm going to be in the, uh, the gospel. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians letter from Paul. 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be starting in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. Looking forward to this sermon here this morning. Not that I don't all the time, but I actually planned this one. I didn't have to change anything. Yeah. Kind of goes along a little bit with the Sunday school lesson this morning out of John. In fact, I had to kind of... So if y'all y'all heard some of the sermon this morning, so bear with me, right? Okay? So... You know that the Apostle Paul spent a year and a half, 18 months in Corinth. To be a Corinthian. Corinth is a rich city, and they kind of like Scottsdale, Arizona. I mean, a lot of people that lived in Corinth moved there, and a lot of people that lived in Corinth are pretty wealthy and well off and did what they wanted to do. And to be a Corinthian was to say something, right? And also, they were pretty vile people at times. They kind of did their own thing and, and, and uh, had their own gods and. There was a lot of Jews mingled with the Greeks and the Greeks and the Jews and the Gentiles and there were all kinds of, uh, they were religious people for sure and they needed some guidance. So Paul spent 18 months there and establishing the church in Corinth and so he goes on to the next uh, town and he gets a, he gets a disturbing news that the, the Christians among themselves are beginning to argue about who's the greatest among them. Remember those questions that the disciples had asked Jesus, who will be the greatest? In the same sense, though, Christians began to compare themselves to other Christians, saying, you know, God chose me uh, because I did this, or I'm better than you because I say this, or I do this. And I'm sure that Christians today don't feel like they're a better Christian than somebody else because they feel more blessed, or they're doing the right things, or, you know. I remember early on in my salvation, I spent a lot of time in the Bible and prayer, and then I went through a phase in my life, probably a decade or so, where I just was kind of, half there, half with it, and I remember becoming agitated with fellow Christians at churches I would attend as a regular tender at Lincoln Avenue, nothing against those folks, but there was a lot of very devout people there, and they would participate in a lot of different things, and I began to feel like they were looking down their nose at me. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, I don't know. You ever done that? Well, you know, they need to come to church more often. You know, you know, did you hear what they said in church? Do you know... Their kids are always in trouble. You know, they don't give as much as they should. You know. Can you believe what the pastor said? And we begin to compare ourselves. But like we learned this morning in Sunday school, I want you to think back, and this is what Paul does, reminds them, who were you before you came to Christ? All of us. All of us would be ashamed if you knew us and knew our hearts before we gave them to Jesus. And we videotaped it, put it up here for everybody to see. Every single one of us would run and hide in a corner someplace. There's things that we just simply don't want people to know. Let me tell you something. Jesus knows. And if you think for a minute that you came, 
that God blessed you, that God chose you, that God saved you because of some wonderful little thing you did in your life that was better than somebody else. You're a fool and nobody but yourself. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Every Sunday I point to the cross up here. And it may seem repetition, but I'm telling you, this is the time once a week we take and we worship Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the resurrection we celebrate here in Easter coming up. And it is very important. It is foundational to our faith that you understand that what Jesus did on the cross was what you and I deserved. It was justified, but God gave us mercy in putting our sin on the cross on Jesus and not on you and not on me. It's by what Jesus did, not by what you and I did. So I shared this story with the Sunday school class this morning, but and I and I and I share it often, but one of my favorite passages in the scripture is this day you shall be with me in paradise. Talking about the two thieves on either side of Jesus. And one of these days when I get to heaven, I sure want to talk to the thief that made it there and say to him, What'd you do to get into heaven? And I can imagine the thief not understanding how to even begin to answer that because there was literally nothing that he did. He didn't go to church. He wasn't a part of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He didn't do choir. He didn't even have a Bible. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't know anything about the Old Testament. He, you know, he did not. He was a robber. He was a thief. Might have been a murderer. I mean, he deserved to be crucified. And how did you? How did you end up in heaven? I can imagine him saying, well, I don't, I don't know. He said I could go. Folks, we're talking about the wisdom of God today and the folly of man. Okay. The Greek word for folly is Mariah. Or folly, or foolishness. Mariah. It just so happens that the word moron also comes from that Greek word, Moron. You ever been called a moron for your beliefs or your folly, you're foolish, you're an idiot? All those words come from the Greek word Moriah, for moron, for folly. You see, the Christian faith is very simple. It is, it, is, it is as simple as what I just illustrated to you, the man on the cross. I don't know, but he said I could. Do you believe that? Jesus has the keys to heaven and hell. And if he invites you, it's because he invited you. And you can have access to heaven just by simply saying, yes, I put my trust in you. That's it. It's that simple. It's not meant to be difficult. And this is what Paul reminds the Corinthians. He says, listen, you need to understand something. And what anything you did, quit comparing yourself to the next Christian because it's what Jesus did on the cross. You better remember what you were like before you gave your life to him. Because ain't nobody got anything to brag about. There is nothing in your past that's worthy of what God would consider good enough. God gave himself. It's the only religion, I don't even like to be called religion, where God himself came and died for us. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He was, even though the Bible tells us we're not to tempt God, God cannot be tempted. We're, we struggle with when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was indeed tempted, but Jesus reminded him, the scripture says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
Why do we have that? It seems like a contradiction. It's not. It's to show us that Jesus, in his full humanity, was tempted with everything that you and I will be tempted with or can be tempted with without sin. Yet he's God. He gave 100% of himself for you. If you were the only person living on the earth, he would have died for you. That's how much he loves you. There's no sin in your life that's too great that God can't overcome. There's nothing. We've all had horrible thoughts, done horrible things. Believe me, there, there's a whole world out there that is very, very evil in nature. Hopefully you don't encounter that very often, but it's there. Things that you can't fathom, things you can't even think of, and you've got to be careful that we don't say, well, I'm not that way. I didn't do that. I'm better. No, no, no. Listen, God shows no favors. All right. The man who's a serial murderer lying on his deathbed, maybe even has got the IVs already stuck in his arm for the death penalty and turns to Jesus in full repentance and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your own. Jesus, at that moment, you can be saved because it's not by who you are, but by who you put your faith in. And trust in. And I spent a lot of my life showing people, trying to convince people, number one, myself, Jesus is real. There are dozens and dozens of non-canical, non-biblical documents, historians that agree that the life that Jesus lived, absolutely 100% accurate, that he died on a cross, they agree on that, and that the tomb was empty. And that he came back to life and witnessed to hundreds and hundreds of people. And probably more important than any of that, though the resurrection is vastly important, is the proof of it is that a bunch of people, we call them disciples, went from being wimps to warriors. They, they literally, their lives were at stake. They, they literally were hiding they betrayed him. They weren't at the cross. Remember that? And then all of a sudden they became filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden they were just these warriors for Christ. And they literally, every single one of them except one, died or was martyred for the belief. Nobody puts their faith and trust in something that is a fake, that is a fraud, that is crazy. They, you wouldn't do that. None of us would do that. That is such strong evidence that Jesus is real and died on the cross and came back to life. We're foolish not to believe it. That's exactly what Paul says. You're fools because I preach Christ crucified. It's that simple. I preach Christ crucified. What's that mean? It means I literally am telling people that God crucified himself on the cross. He loved you so much and he proved that he was God. He came back to life. That's the gospel message. That's it. All you got to do is believe in that. Believe in that. Put your trust in him. Your trust in him. It's not enough just to repent. Repentance is important, but every modern religion today, Judaism, Islam, uh, Hinduism, all have a component of repentance, but that's not going to get you to heaven. People can be sorry for a lot of things, but you got to turn in faith to Jesus and recognize He did the work, not you. Nothing you do will ever be enough to impress God.
And this passion and this mercy and this justice and the simplicity of this message is what Paul is trying to tell the church in Corinth. Because there was this spiritual debate going on, I'm better than so-and-so, he says, listen, in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God as the scriptures say, and this is from Isaiah, he's quoting scripture, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. I love that translation. I will discard the, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Folks, every tribe ever discovered in history had some form of religion and worship something or somebody. Everybody has a need to worship. And if we didn't have the God of the Bible, who would you worship? Who would we worship if there was no God? Yourself. Absolutely. That's why the Bible says, love God as you love yourself. <laughs> because I know you love yourself. You feed yourself. You go to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom. You bathe yourself, I hope, right? You want to look decent. You educate yourself. You do these things. You get up in the morning. You come to church. You love you. You know, we, we take care of ourselves. And in fact, we live in a society today that's called relativism. Relativism. It's a fancy word for uh, progressiveness or progressivism. And relativism means that uh, whatever you feel is right is okay. Whatever you think is true is, is, is right. It's okay. It's called progressivism and we live in, or liberalism. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about a mindset, an ideology. And the problem with progressivism or idealism or uh, uh, ideology and this idea of relativism is that most people who fall into that category, and we call secularism, okay, most people who fall into that category of relativism and they believe that I should believe whatever I want to believe and that's okay and that's great, go to any college campus and you'll see that, is that most relativists only get along with other relativists. Because as soon as I say, I believe the God of the Bible, I believe in absolute truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected and I put my faith and trust in him. That's closed-minded. They don't have anything to do with me. So the very thing they say we need to be is accepting of everybody. They don't accept us. Think about that. They'll accept others who have that open vision. They won't accept yours. Friends, that's Satan. It's spiritual. We're fighting against spiritual forces and principalities and darknesses that we can't see. But it manifests itself in the physical. We have titles for them, relativists. Everything you say, everything you want to do, it's okay. As long as you're okay with it and I'm okay with it. Except unless, unless it's something that I say. There are movements going on right now that you'll get you fired. Get you fired. Every single, every single week we read of somebody, somewhere, some newscaster, somebody in some position gets fired for offending somebody. So it's okay for the relativists to offend us, but we can't offend them. You, you see what I'm saying? What I'm getting at is it's called worship. It's a religion. 
You can worship God or you can worship relativism. And relativism is just you. Do what you want to do. The Corinthians were that way. They wanted to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it because they had the means to do it. They were rich and they were wealthy and they had all these things. That's why it's so difficult for a rich man to get to heaven. Because a rich person, a person that has everything, doesn't see a need to surrender to anybody or anything. So Paul reminds them, the message of the cross, he's talking about literally Christ crucified, this is that simple, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. In other words, to the heathens, to people who don't believe in Christ, they'll use every terminology they can and make us look horrible. Bible thumpers, we have the Bible belt, born again freaks, Whatever it may be, they're one of those Christians, you know, one of those Christians. God uses the Greek word Mariah, which means fool, which also means moron. He was being very strong here with his words, saying that those who are on the other side look at us and think we are morons. It's meant to be a simple message. <laughs> Even a child, a child can understand. God says, and this goes all the way back to Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. <laughs> in other words, self-made wisdom. I've known some people in my life that they'll tell you how smart they are. But you know, as well as I do, they're dumber than a box of rocks. You may be smart in this one area, but over here, you're really missing the boat, buddy. <laughs> Where things really count, you're missing the boat. I will discard the intelligence of the intelligent. He said, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care what your GPA is or how many PhDs you got. I mean, there's some people that are, they're full-time students their entire lives. They got a PhD, they got an MD, they got an MPH, they got a master's in this thing. And it's like... Did you ever do anything besides go to school? I mean, yeah, you're intelligent. I get it. You know, what? He says, that intelligence, I'll make you look like a fool because God's wisdom is grander than anything. He says, you have the wrong wisdom. You need God's wisdom, not your own wisdom. God's the source. Verse 20, Paul says, so where does this leave the philosophers? The scholars the world's brilliant debaters. God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Yes, indeed, he has. Boy, I tell you, we live in a world today, it's full of information. You get on Google, you, get any, you can find anything you want. But let me tell you, be careful of the source. It's a story being told to manipulate you and me. I'm, very, I'm a very skeptical person when it comes to certain things, Okay. I check and double-check sources and where I'm getting my information from before I ever accept it. Most things that I see on Facebook, I score right past it going, whatever. I mean, you're right. It's like, oh, that's cool. It's fake. I'm not going to pay attention to it. I know it's, it's not real. It's a story that somebody's trying to teach us, tell us. I've had conversation with full-grown adults before who believe this particular issue and you go, what is wrong with you? 
I love you, but don't be a fool. Don't be a foolish Christian. That's what Paul's telling him. Don't be foolish Christians. He says, because I'm going to, he says, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters, he says, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish because self-wisdom comes from self. Okay? That's not to say there aren't things out there that we could put a man on the moon and we could you know, fix uh, different diseases and surgeries. No, those are all valid, good things, but that's not the kind of wisdom God is talking about. Talking about some of this wisdom out there, but where did life begin? What's the purpose of life? Where did we come from? We've got all these answers, and every decade it changes, but we've got to follow the science. The nature of science is to ask questions and to change according to what they find. And let me tell you something that hasn't changed, and that's God. And his wisdom has never changed. Now, you could choose to believe that or not. That's up to you. God says you're a fool if you don't. The world says you're a fool if you do. I'm going to choose to believe God. Because what I've seen in the world is pretty doggone disappointing. That's as nice as I can say it. There's some things I love. And there's some things I just can't stomach. Verse 21 says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. <laughs> Get, pay attention to what he just says. The world will never know him through human wisdom. You're never going to be able to convince somebody who wants to be convinced that God is real, that Jesus is the Son of God, with human wisdom. Because let's be honest, the thought that a man in all, all of our intricacies and complexities, a biological human being, could die on a cross and then three days later be resurrected sounds kind of foolish. If you tried to explain that with human wisdom, good luck. Okay. But I can tell you there's been dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of dozens of men and women throughout history who have made it their life calling to prove that Jesus didn't exist, that there was no resurrection. And in and through that process, they have become advocates for Christianity. Because in a court of law, if you take all the evidence of the resurrection and placed it in front of any common person, you absolutely could not deny the evidence of the resurrection and what we find about Jesus. And the world won't tell you that. Maybe we should do a study sometime. I'll show you the evidence. I'll show you. But even that, even that, if you use your human wisdom and say, yeah, but you're never going to come to a knowledge and a faith and a trust in Christ if you're relying on human wisdom. God's spirit moves. There's some people in your lives right now and in my lives who you try to convince, you try to witness, you try to be around them. You just think they're lost. They're never going to get it. Hopefully they're going to heaven. I just don't know. But, you know, you just, you just, you just listen, you're not going to convince anybody. We need to stop trying to convince people and just tell people. Paul didn't use any fancy words here. He could have. He just said, listen, I preach Christ crucified. I'm not trying to elaborate. I'm just telling you. I know it sounds foolish, but that's where you guys need to go back to. He says in Corinth, you need to understand something. It's simple as putting your faith and trust in Christ, in Christ alone. <laughs> that's it. 
And out of that, out of that trust, out of that faith, and out of that growth, the Holy Spirit will make you, mold you, and make you into a different person. And you'll begin to grow. And you begin to be sanctified. And that means to become more like Christ. Walk in Him. It's a lifelong process. And you're not glorified until you meet Him face to face. It's a process. The growth is, not the salvation. Salvation is immediate. Salvation is immediate. You receive him, you meet you now. The, the man on the cross next to Jesus didn't have to do anything. He didn't say, you know what, we've got to get you down first. We've got to baptize you. <laughs> Sorry, Baptists. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't have to have a seminary degree to be saved. You don't have to have a working knowledge of God's word to be saved. What do you need? You need Jesus. You need Jesus. It's that simple and that silly. You need Jesus. You mean to tell me that I need to put my faith and my trust in the person of the person of, of Jesus Christ who you believe is God and you believe he died and was resurrected to prove that he's God and I'm to follow him and that's the only way to heaven? Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's a gift given by God because he loves us so much. He desires that nobody be separated from him. He desires that nobody go to hell, but he gives us the opportunity to come to him in faith. Because he loves you and I so much, he doesn't force you to do anything. And there's nothing that I can say would ever be strong enough or ever convince you, but we must rely upon the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit to indwell and to move the loved ones in our lives that they might hear God himself say, come to me. I stand at the door and knock. And I will come in and I will dine with whoever opens the door. But you got to open the door. The handle's on your side and it's not a one way. You got to open it. You got to let me into your heart. God gives us free will and free choice. Yes, He chooses us. He chose you. Not because of anything you did, because of who you put your faith and trust in. And it doesn't make you better than anybody else. Because Jesus is the greatest. He's fantastic. He's awesome. And we need to fall in love with Jesus. Verse 23. Paul says, So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Folks, nothing's changed today. Look around you. It used to be we lived in a society where if you didn't believe in God, you were looked at as a heretic. You, nobody would have anything to do with you. And slowly things have changed. And now it's like if you believe in God, you're an idiot. You're a moron. You're closed-minded. You're, you're, you're a conservative. You're a right-winger. You're this and that. And we've become the enemy. We've become the minority. And we've got to stand up for what we believe despite the consequences, because every time we stand up and say something, there's a consequence. You're seeing it around all the time. There's a young man I saw just on the news the other day 